Is this any better? Yes. Oh, I can't, like, mute myself and eat? You can. We'll just hear them. You all are the, wor- are the worst <laughs> guests we've ever had. <laughs> You're like, what about, what's wrong with the guy? They're going to see the background? Can I eat? It's like, can we show 40 minutes late? That's the problem. <laughs> I've never used Squadcast before. It wasn't working it. from Safari. I just kept trying to like get on, get on, get on, and then I like see this tiny it message saying, "Oh, Squadcast is not supported on Safari." I'm like, "Oh, uh, that's okay. helpful." I actually that's the first time I knew that too. So we should actually send that to our to the a future guest. I like the um, idea of letting them figure it out. <laughs> as long as you don't, as long as you like the idea of your ass waiting on them, that's good. It starts. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> right. Round one right. goes to Kavi. Excuse me? <laughs> you heard me. Whatever. Welcome to another episode of Dive in Justice, the podcast that explores building ideal communities with our less than ideal selves. I am Yama Jackson. And I'm Shandine Garcia. And today we're joined by two dear friends of ours, Kavita and Mohammed, from the Center for Whole Communities. We're so excited to be spending this time with them today. I'm wondering what is um, what is present for you these days. I've actually missed the chance to connect and talk about things like what's most alive for us right now, or what are our highs and lows, or what are the... I hadn't realized the degree to which um, reflecting back openly with someone else who is, you know, actively listening and holding space for what you're carrying is so helpful. Like, and it's not not in a like, I need advice back on it or help me with my life, but just someone bearing witness to what is super relevant has been so, um, and I loathe to say it because, you know, you know, my relationship with Delma is, you know, He's like, I hate to like throw compliments his way, but has been so great, (laughs) has been so great. So like even thinking like I got up excited today knowing we were going to record, knowing we were going to talk, knowing we were going to be able to get in and share Mm -hmm. each other's lives in in this way um, as, as most of us are on that cusp of always falling either apart with tears or with joy or with pain in the midst of all the grief and all that we're holding I didn't realize how much I was so looking forward to being able to hear from my brother how he's doing, hear from our guests how they're doing, and be able to share back what's alive. So um, feel free to Mm. do with that. Edit out or keep it, if you will. But I just wanted to open with that. Um, What's present for me right now is my youngest son is at Emory. He's a freshman, and he got um, pretty severe food poisoning or something or some virus and the, everything was he's great they put him in an isolation hotel which is in case he had covid what they call isolation hotels and he was like mom i could hear someone coughing on the on like the room next to me and the room next to me he's like so if i didn't get covid like if i didn't have covid going in i shouldn't it's gonna have i'm gonna have it exiting <laughs> but um he said everyone was so incredible he's like as it was happening He's, he's talking about everyone. He's talking about his um, college, you know, friends. And his, and so, mm-hmm. you know, one of his friends brought him this tea. Another friend brought him toast. Another friend in the middle of the night went to the store to get Pepto-Bismol. And what I loved about it is um, these are things that their family does for them, right? They're practicing adulting 
and care for my baby boy. Mm-hmm. And there was just something so... Like, he wasn't reflecting on that. He was just like, oh, they were so nice. And telling me, I was thinking, that's what their mom or their auntie or their grandma did for them. when they. And so that's the knowledge they have to go to. And I've been thinking about it all week. Think, You know, the work that I do is trying to create the conditions in workspaces and agencies or organizations or companies, whatever, so that everybody can show up in their fullest humanity which means they should be able to bring that with them in their workspaces, like what their aunties and grandmas mm-hmm. and dads and brothers and uncles did for them to care for them. That should always be present while they're sitting in their workspaces or talking or thinking. And I just, somewhere along the lines, that disconnect is still so present. And it, it, it just makes me think a lot about what changes need to be made in where we show up to work so that that experience that my son is getting at 18 is present where people show up every day in their workspaces. So that's what I'm, I'm thinking about. He got out of the isolation hotel. He doesn't have COVID. He's now completely on the mend, but I'm so moved by this is the care around him. So that's what's, that's what's Mm. present for me. Yeah, that is, um, on one hand, that's that's real dope. And on the other hand, I am reminded of just how saccharine oh you can be God. sometimes. You're me. Um, <laughs> this is the garbage, not the gold, folks. <laughs> it's, it's, it's been a while. We just haven't had this space, right, since season one ended. And I'm just like, oh, that's right. She, she is diabetes. cheesy and over she the top. Diabetes. Right, yeah. Oh, my so God. It's like watching Squid Game talking to you sometimes. <laughs> um, I appreciate you, and I appreciate that. And I think you're absolutely right to name the ways in which we learn to care for one another from what our families did. There's a legacy, right? And now I'm interested in talking to my mom to see how she was cared for. I'm interested to know how far back some of these things actually go. So I appreciate you naming that. Um, And a little offended that she was like the grandmas and the moms and the aunties. What about the dads? My dad was the one who always ran to the store. I'm the one running to the store. I correct. Right? On, the, on the second I and I said that. uncles and dads and brothers on the st- when I re-repeated Whatever. it. I ain't, I, ain't hear, <laughs> I ain't hear none of that shit. Um, I appreciate that. I do. And yeah, I'm definitely going to check in with my mom about that. Um, and I never would have thought to. So thank you for that. The thing that's present for me right now is I just went to uh, parent-teacher conferences in in the gymnasium for my daughter who's actually going to the high school that I went to. So I'm driving to parent-teacher conferences yesterday, listening to the South Lake podcast, which talks about um, the rise of white backlash in the face of students organizing to have more DEI-type conversations in the school system. 
right? And you get this huge backlash from all these wealthy white parents um, who gain the attention of Fox News, who get the shout-outs on Tucker Carlson's show. Meanwhile, these kids are languishing, you know? Um, so by the time I got to the parent-teacher conference and I'm waiting in line, I'm just, <laughs> I'm surrounded in, in white wealth and I'm mean mugging the shit out of everybody, right? And like, I could see it reflecting when I go to sit across from the teacher. I could see it in their eyes, like, oh my God, right? Like, I think I just looked angry, you know? Um, and I was sweet and polite and we had a great time and all the teachers love my daughter and she's doing excellent right now, all A's and B's, she's kicking ass, but I was like, I was just waiting on someone to say something funny or look at me funny or do anything. I felt so on edge. And I feel like I owe it to her and I owe it to these kids to do something while I'm while she's there, at least. So I have to figure that out. Because word on the street is that the principal before the school year even started has sent out a letter letting the parents know that they weren't going to be dealing with any of that critical race theory stuff. And nobody even asked you, as far as I know, right? But you just wanted to make sure it was clear that your students weren't going to be exposed to such filth and flarn, flarn and filth. And so I'm waiting on an insider to give me a copy of that letter, and then I'm having to plan out my next steps from there um but the petty part of me is looking forward to to causing some some trouble up there and hoping it doesn't land on my daughter you know um, but i've been talking to her about it and she's definitely giving me the green light which is easy to do when you've never really felt backlash she doesn't know yet what this could mean for her and so that's on my mind really on my mind right now <laughs> you know you know you had said um that what i had said makes you want to like ask your mom a question i wonder mm-hmm. if what you've just said right now makes your daughter want to ask you a question like have mm-hmm. you talked to her about all of the like the history of flint what your experience was like and like and and how you feel about like Oh, this is and like like this is what I have to do in order to make to give you a chance. And what does she? How does she take that all in? So I've taken the kids in the car and driven them through Flint um, several times, and then taken them out to the suburbs and asked them to draw conclusions about the the differences they observe, and then talked about the history of this city, the history of the burbs, the reason the north side looks so different from some of the surrounding areas, right? Um, Taking them by the plants, open and closed. Um, Because I had so much internalized hatred for black folks growing up, I wanted to make sure that they didn't have that, right? That they understood that there's a story behind what they're observing. Um, and so they are definitely grounded in that story in a way that I was not. Um, and I keep having to come back to it because when you're in that system every single day, you lose sight of that story because nobody else is telling you that story. 
Um, and just hearing it one time isn't going to cut it. You know? So, yeah, they, they know. And it, and I'm making sure they, <laughs> they know um, what's up. I've taken them to their grandfather's house and explained how the GI Bill, even though the house ain't but that big, I wanted them to understand that granddad couldn't even own this little house, even though he went and fought in the war. And now look at this neighborhood and what's happened to it, you know. Um, yeah, so they know what's up, for sure. Yeah, I feel like that's a, a huge gift. Later we can talk about it, but one of the people who helps with our podcast, Jenny Cotting, um, actually helped create a toolkit for families on critical race theory. So, and, and mm. schools and dealing with it. So, um, shout out to her mm-hmm. and, and others who did that work, but, um, consider us standing next, next to you and next to your daughter as you navigate that. Mm-hmm. That's that, that shit's real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I appreciate that. Um, that said, speaking of standing next to this would be a great way to segue into talking to our guests. And I wanted to uh, take the opportunity to introduce them. And it does feel like an opportunity because, yeah, some of my favorite people for sure. When we come back, we will dive into our guests and have an opportunity to introduce you to some amazing folks. Um so excited to have them here. So excited to spend a little time with them. Um, we'll be right back. Super excited to have uh, two guests join us simultaneously that I have known for around a decade or so, um, not to ages, but they are both um, have been colleagues of mine with the Center for Whole Communities. That is how I've known them, and um, they're just two amazing people, and I know you'll agree once you get a chance to hear from these folks. I wanted to introduce... Um, my friends Kavita and my friend Mohammed. Kavi is a longtime facilitator, a mom, mediated consultant, practitioner. Um, been doing this work for a couple decades now. Um, she's been a longtime facilitation uh, guru of mine, and um, just been doing work forever to bring healing to every community that she touches, including the one that she created. Pivoting from her to Muhammad, Um, I think within my first couple days of meeting Muhammad, uh, I found out he did martial arts and I was trying to like get him to fight me um, somewhere out in the woods of Vermont. I don't know if he remembers that. but no, I uh, was immediately uh, taken by this brother and the fact that I had never seen anyone synthesize information as well as he did. Um, 
he could listen to folks talk just on and on and on and then come back and give you about three or four really good bullet points and then make you wish you had just said that instead. Um, but he was always able to get to the essence of what he heard and, re- and really make sense of things that often, for me at least, felt confusing as shit. So I've always been impressed um, by that. Um, but this brother uh, has come to us from the D.C. area initially, um, blurring the lines between East and West, always been into the arts and sciences, um, holds a master degree, master's degree in uh, urban ecology and environmental design from the Yale School of Forestry and Environmental Studies, undergraduate degrees in religion and biology from George Washington University, um, and is working on his Ph.D., right now definitely an intellectual powerhouse who sends me things that i'm uh supposed to read all the time um and i keep asking for the audible version and trying to explain to him that i don't read but he won't listen i'm so excited to have both of you here i really am uh like i'm not exaggerating when i say both of you are two of some of my favorite people on the planet um, Kavita Mohammed, thank you for joining us. Thank you for being here. So this is going to be the strangest entree point, right? It's just like Kavita, Dhamma called you a guru. How do you feel about that? I've always been curious when people <laughs> use that term for me. I'm like, well, I'm not South Asian, so I don't know how to feel about that. But I'm like Middle Eastern, so did they say that because I'm like a light shade of light brown? Or like the beard. So, but you're of South Asian descent, and he called you a guru. So I'm just like really curious. I I kind of I, I think I spaced when he called me that. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, wow, there's a lot there in that little mic job moment. I can't believe you came in and out and put and had the nerve. Did you put yourself back on mute, Muhammad? No. <laughs> Um, and I just to be clear, I did call you a guru specifically because of your ethnic background. I just want everybody to know that. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what happened. Muhammad, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and my and my trigger is more about being called a teacher probably than even noticing that you called me something that comes from <laughs> where my ancestry comes from, you know? Um, Word. Uh, my teacher. Well, just, I mean, I'm clearly not Delma's yoga teacher. That much is clear. But like- <laughs> wow. You can sit back for this episode. We've got this, I did, in terms of like jabs. <laughs> you just like, I am so happy right now. You <laughs> I'm just gonna sit back and watch it unfold. So happy. I was happy. Initially. What's up, y'all? Kavi. Good to have you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I know you don't usually like putting yourself out here too much. You get a little shy on this sometimes. So I'm really excited you joined us. Thank you. I'm really excited that you can edit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. So I know 
the two of you, Kavi and Mohammed, I know you all from CWC, right? That's where we met. And I'm curious if you share my analysis after being in community for so long together and working in groups and facilitating conversations. When I think about the work we do at CWC at its essence, I think it's about giving people the tools to be in good, strong relationships with each other so that when shit hits the fan, because it will, you're able to remember why you're together in the first place and continue to show up even when you are like not feeling it or not feeling somebody that you're supposed to be in community with. Um, what is, what would you say to that? Like, would you agree? Or what would you add or, or change in that? I don't know, Dumb. I think I might like approach that from like the other way, which is like to be in relationship. And it's just like in some ways like a relational worldview or like just trying to introduce that, right? Or it's just like relationality for folks. Like I'm having a hard time calling it tools. There are some tools. Um, hmm. I think in this moment, I'm also just like, just really aware, you know, it might be what I'm reading. It might be like Shandine, like you're in the mix, which is like, like on the edge of being at CWC, also being indigenous here. There's like so much of it feels like indigenous, like practices that have been like reintroduced into like nonprofit world, sometimes edges of corporate world. They're like, look, there's story. They're sitting in circle and having a conversation and dialogue. There is um, uh, this piece around working like retention, right? And, and difference and um, so I'm struggling with like tools and practices, but I, I and maybe I should just stop and let Kavitha speak and then come back and see if I have anything else to add. But I, I think the only thing I will say is it seems simple, but just like introducing relationship like that. Hey, like people matter, you know, like into some of these spaces is so much more radical than I can like in this moment, <laughs> you know, like describe like just that. It was just like, hey. And yeah, there are tools like check-ins, dumb as you say, letting people know what you're at so they don't say something stupid. Like also, but also mm -hmm. so sort of there can be empathy. Yeah, Shandine, if you're about to pop in and say something. Yeah, I know, I know Kavita's going to say something here, but when you said the word radical, I just want to crawl out of my skin and just scream like that people receive centering story and love and relationship in a professional setting as radical is like, I just want to fucking like, hurt something. Like I, and it's constant. And so to hear you say it just validates all of the fucking rage that I harness when I go in and work with big institutions, big agencies. They're not little agencies. I'm talking like huge. 
and I'll say, here's what we're going to start with. Start. We don't have time for that. And I just and like that's too, or, or people will tell me that's way too. That's way too woo woo, Shandine. And when people say like a way of being is woo, a way of being is too radical, a way of like. I just. Um, I want to honestly like I want to crawl out of my skin in in rage and I just hearing you say it um, makes me uh, makes it feel like I'm less um, it just validates like that the whole reaction sorry I can't even articulate it I'm still so mad just thinking it um, so I'll be quiet thank you Mohammed for everything yeah, you offer. No, that, that could be the hook and I'll just say a few more things is and maybe maybe this is actually my answer the one that actually shows up but um you helped co-create this program at UVM, right? It's just like there are others, like Matt Cullen, Two Trees, um, and Syrah, Pinto, and so many others. But this program that I'm doing my PhD in, Leadership for Sustainability. Um, so I was reading this book by Sean Wilson, Research is Ceremony. You know this, Shandi. And he's describing the part where, like, indigenous scholars and researchers, graduate students in Australia have to spend so much time because there's like one or two white folks on their committee who are like not having it and like totally resisting like, you know, this methodology that's more relational, more story-based. And as you described that, like, I was like, oh, I know what it is. I, I, I think I know what it is. And, and in some ways, this is how we started our conversation around like grief and anger, which is like, no one wants to be with the messiness underneath and the deep fear. And here's like, we could just quote Jimmy, right? Like James Baldwin, like, I can't remember the quote, but it's just like, oh, it all comes down to that. It just all comes down to the fear of being with like the rawness of your emotions, the puddle I want to turn into, right? Um, or just like the anger that wells up that's so deep that comes from like, depths that are just like ancestral um and so like the tide it, yeah it, it's all put together so precariously the system right like shani it's all put together so precariously and yet like in that moment that you described or in that scene of like the defense people are just there to kind of push back the gates it's like no no you can't let that like drip come out that can't turn into, like, put your finger in it. <laughs> you know, that, that the whole edifice will come crashing down, you know? Um, and it's all been built not to feel. It just reminded, it reminds me of, um, and I, I wish I could do it again or find ways to do it again, but it reminds me of the way my father would deal with when um, – uh, Kavita was talking about all the feelings you feel when you were a kid and where that came out and the the swearing and the whatever like I'm like oh my god she was my sister this is my world right the the yelling that I would do with my step parents or whatever but when I would get really mad I just couldn't even my father would get a chair and a book and he would take me outside and he would say what's wrong and I would say it he's like okay start running and I would just run around the house two or three laps and I would be sweating and crying and he, and he, I'd stop again and he's sitting there just reading a book and he's like, okay, is there more? And I'm like, yes. And this, and this, I hear you. You're okay. I hear you. And then do you need some more laps. Yes. And I would go r- around, around and running and running until I was exhausted and sweaty and crying and, and it was done. And you know, when I was little, he would like pull me in his lap and I got bigger. Like, you're okay, Mahita. You're okay. 
you're okay. And he like, and he wasn't super affectionate. He was an old Mexican farmer. He would <laughs> pat me on the head or, you know, like, all right, go inside and like get cleaned up and do your homework or whatever the thing was. But imagine, ima- like I just, the thought of being in these spaces and all of a sudden and the dam breaks and it's whoosh. If someone were saying, you're okay, like sweat it out, run it out, do whatever the thing is. And that's the work. That's part of it on, on, on everybody's dime and everybody's time and everyone's whatever. Like, even if it's two in the afternoon in the middle of the meeting and that's what the call is for, that's what the call is for. But the thought of that, in the middle of facilitating a meeting with the, you know, U.S. force or whatever, like, is just ludicrous. And it, I'm just angry thinking about it now. And, but also just like, I'd forgotten, I'd forgotten that, Muhammad, until you had said it. I'd forgotten that my dad used to do that with me. Um, and he would just read a book, keep going, keep going. Mm. Anyway, sorry, Delma, you were going to say something. I was just moved by... What he said. No, I'll dig it. And Kavi, I want your voice in here. I just wanted to say all of this reminds me of a conversation I was having with my daughter yesterday about um, the podcast I mentioned earlier, the Soft Lake piece, and just thinking about this this white reaction to a self analysis, right? The, the the critical analysis of whiteness and its impact um, on society is something that over and over again you you the the primary fear that I constantly hear in these conversations is I'm not racist. That's the phrase, right? I'm not racist. The worst thing you can see yourself as is racist in their, in their thinking. And, um, what I was sharing with my daughter, right. is like, goes back to something Kavita said a little earlier is like, how do I, um, hold the anger and the rage and still see past it to something else? Right. Because what's understood is, being anti something is not enough. You cannot create when everything is around being against. There's nothing there. That is the essence of white supremacy. That is the essence of white identity is that the reason you can't identify your own culture is because your entire culture is based on anti or that is not white. Right? So if your entire culture is rooted in what you're not, then you don't have shit to stand on because you allowed yourself to be disconnected from your indigeneity, whether it was in Ireland, Germany, France, etc. You had cultural roots, but you decided to give those up in exchange for white privilege and all that it afforded you. And so now you stand in emptiness. And the last thing you want to do is be put in a position where you have to actually analyze that and unpack that collectively. And so you flip the fuck out and will do everything you can to avoid having that conversation. And if I can get my kids to understand nothing else, I need you to understand that when you oppress or when you are part of the privileged Because the same analysis I have around white supremacy, I also have around masculinity. If you're built upon what you're not, you better learn to see past that. Because you will continuously lack something. Right? 
And it's not just true for white supremacy. I think it's true for power. Period. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Thank you for giving Diving Justice a listen. We recognize that your time is the most valuable currency you have. If you're digging the pod, there are a couple of things you can do to show your support. First, head over to your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. It just takes a few seconds of your time. And every review helps us grow our listenership and broadens the conversations we can have together. The second thing you can do, and should do, is consider supporting the podcast by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash dot underscore in underscore justice. There's so much to rip off of all of y'all. <laughs> I don't know where to start. Um, I, I think we've already gotten here in the conversation, but when you, Shandine, took a moment to sort of um, speak to wanting to crawl out of your skin around, like, the fact that it's radical in um, in some of these spaces to just center relationship and story and care um the other the the other piece that I was like thinking of in my mind that you've both have touched on is even how radical it is to even center relationship to self like to understanding what's going on right and so that like I love so much the inherent wisdom and what your dad did with you around like just the embodied Wisdom, you know, like how that was a lesson from a young age that like that anger doesn't have to become intellectualized all the time. It can just be physically like run out, you know, like had I learned those tools, would I be able to let go of some of this anger a little bit better? You know, like, I don't know, but, um, for me, it was always intellectualized. So I had to like find, a a right or wrong to uh, ascribe it to. Right. And, and then hold on to that. Um, I love that. You know, it's not personal. You're okay. You're, you're okay. Do you need to run some more? You're okay. Like, Oh, if we could all have that, you know, I know Delma, you speak to your punching bag sometimes in your basement, you know, like if we all just like had our, our thing, um, accessible. Um, and I think that's maybe why, um, embodied practice is like, something I choose to turn to so much with my time because so much of my uh, lineage has just been focused on this one muscle up here inside of my skull and like letting this dictate everything and seeing the ripple down impacts, negative impacts of that. Right. And just trying to like learn some tools to, um, to soften that, to make space for, um, what other sources of wisdom and knowledge I, the rest of my being is trying to tell me. Um, and, uh, you know, Delma back to like your initial statement about relationship and love being at the heart of sort of what CWC does or supports people. Um, something that just comes up for me, like, as I was listening to you talk about that, I was like, yeah, 
you know, and, and sometimes relationships suck. Like relationships add complexity, relationships make shit fucking hard. And, you know, like, oh, conflict brings so much gnarliness into my whole system. And, you know, and, 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 and of course we need to have, um, thicker skin to be able to, or resilience or whatever the word you want to use, you know, like capacity to, to not avoid, but to show up for, um, what's hard about that. And, um, and we also need space to be able to walk away and take our time and recognize that sometimes those, those kinds of conflicts or those kinds of gnarly feelings and stuff like are not going to fit into, um, a convenient time frame, always, and um, and then also to hold space to our capacity to change. Like you know, again, I mean, I talked about like polarity being, or like the good bad being, sort of like the winning of the colonial project within me. But also, there's that like the labeling, the staticness of, of sort of, you know, English was my first language and it's a language that, um, is just like, so full of, of nouns of like stuck states of being in relationship to the planet that we're a part of and to ourselves. And like, how do I, um, how do I bring that into, um, how do I bring that into justice work? How do I bring that into community building and into relationality and into family? And, um, it's a question. Um, but I think, um, yeah, I think, I think that's some of what I hope, uh, center for whole communities, like, maybe it's not tools, maybe it's not practices. I mean, I think there are practices, but like it's partnership is holding the hand, standing beside as, as we create some space for falling and getting back up again and falling and getting back up again and being able to, to face what's not comfortable. I feel like part of what you offered is um, like, I, I, in my patterns of where I fall into perfectionism and white supremacy and binary and all the things like, I just want the fucking answer. I just want the answer. I just want the, and then I want the answer to be easy and a way through. Right. And what all of us are saying is it actually isn't that easy <laughs> that there is this. Um, yes. We're trying tools. Yes. We're trying approaches. Yes. We're trying like skill sets. Yes. We're trying to offer any possible thing that can align with the way of being that invites love, healing uh, space for grief, anger, for all the things. And we're all trying in all our different ways, approaches, be it through, if we think about like our guests, be it through like the work that they show up in, in like environmental world or as a teacher or as a, or like what, like whatever, all attempting to do these spaces. I think what we don't, or I, I think, and I don't know what we don't talk about enough is that piece that you said, Kavita, that was so clear, which is our own like relationship with ourselves too, like within that. Um, and that to me feels like there, almost never want closure there. I, I don't want like it to be as clean as I feel like I, I, I in general seek. Um, 
So I just, um, I'm, my head is spinning and I'm super appreciative of what you both have offered. Um, and then Delma, that, that piece that you said around what that is around a healthy white identity, because we're all navigating that shit. And so what is, what does that mean to also be holding space with that in our anger, in that, in those oppressive structures, I think is so important. Um, so I just, I want to leave time for, I know um, we've got more pieces to talk about on the podcast. want to make sure we honor your work and your time, but I know we only have a few minutes left and we can't possibly in the amount of time allotted, we've been on here two hours, come to some closure. And I'm kind of like, I feel better about that, that we actually can't find closure, that these are just all open invitations to keep, um, I don't want the word struggle, I keep struggling in it because it is a struggle, but to keep, um, I don't know, to keep percolating, to keep, um, what does my dad call it? Marinating, to keep marinating. So thank you. Um, I'm curious, I know Kavi, I wanted you to just say a word or two about um, the embodied practice that you're, you're walking into and inviting other folks into. Um, but I also wanted to check in with you, uh, Mohammed. You and I have talked a lot about anger over the years um, and what it means to hold it. And um, that's a conversation I would love to be able to come back to at some point, even as a part of the pod. And maybe it's a matter of... I'm, I'm interested in anger and at the intersection of gender, too. I'm interested in what it means to be angry as a man or someone who identifies as a man, you know, or is outwardly perceived as a man, right? Um, and how that operates in this world, especially if you give a shit about justice. <laughs> how do you, because um, that's something I struggle with. I don't always feel like it's safe for me to be angry. Either it's going to make other people feel unsafe or I'm going to be unsafe because I'm expressing my anger. Um, particularly in this skin. And so that's a subject that it, I'm, I'm always interested in having uh, more exploration in. I'm going to love on Covey, and, and maybe this is also your segue in. Um, y- yes to that, Delma, that conversation anytime. Um, I actually do consider Covey a teacher. So I was really curious when you're like, I, I don't, you said you didn't love that label. But, but Covey is my teacher in embodied practice and just like being in the world. Um, and, you know, one of the places I take my, my grief and my anger is also, you know, when I'm able to remember like into and through my body and the practices, especially over the course of the pandemic, that Kavita started to offer were just exquisitely curated and like led. And, um, the Qigong practice is the, the is it the, Five elements. Um, the one around uh, anger is wood, and and that's been sitting with me of late. Like I turn to a tree, and they do that work, and I really, I wonder. Yeah, let's come back to that conversation. But I just want to bow to like everything I've I've learned from you, Kavita, around that for just like we've been doing this for like fifteen years or something, and. Um, that's been powerful. I also want to share a poem that, like, 
Shandi, when you asked the question about Kavita, uh, question, you know, which is, um, you know, you can go back to it. But this poem that Kavita always brings just immediately came to mind. And it's a, it's a quote from the Persian Sufi mystic poet Hafiz. And it says, And still after all this time, the sun never says to the earth, You owe me. Look what happens with a love like that. It lights up the whole sky. Um, so I just want to love up on my sister and teacher and friend and colleague Kavita and then uh, let you say more about yoga. Right, you might get a little of my cryberry bee lineage coming through here. <laughs> um, thank you, Mohammed. Um, I mean, I'll just say briefly on the on the teacher guru thing. Like, I consider you all my teachers too, and um, not my gurus. But my teacher, <laughs> um, and I, you know, my shying away from that word is simply just that—it's shying away from it. Um, you know, I—I I guess I'm trying not to deny that I'm an elder in training, right? But I think of. Um, again, this is my programming that I'm trying to unlearn, but I do think of like those with wisdom to share or teachers being elders. And of course that's not true. My, te- my children and younger people teach me all the time. With embodied practice, um, what to say? I mean, you know, when I think about my relationship to embodied practice, I do um, think of my father a lot um, in the last few years of his um, life in this body. Um, you know, his time on the earth right now, he, I would massage him a lot. He had an insatiable appetite for massage and, um, one of the things I like to do is like a weight bearing massage where I hold, you know, I hold the weight of one of his limbs or something and I'll like move it around and get some mobility. And, um, you know, oftentimes I would do this and I would like lift up his leg and be like, okay, give me your weight, relax. And, um, and he'd be like, I am, I'm relaxed. And I'd be like, no, 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 you have to like, actually like give me your weight, let go, relax into me. And he would get so mad at me and frustrated. He'd be like, what are you talking about? I am relaxed. What are you talking about? And I would let go of his leg. It'd be up in the air. I would let go and his his leg would just hang in the air like that. I mean, like, you see, if you were relaxed, it would fall to the bed right now. It would just like fall. And, um, and he wasn't even able to make that kind of mind body connection or like that didn't even have that awareness that he was holding that tight all the time. And that that's kind of the degree of control that I think, my father felt he needed to move from the poverty he came from to get on that cargo ship, you know, across oceans to arrive at university of Chicago and to like make it in, um, in this country to send money back to, you know, 
support his whole family back home and, um, and, you know, provide the best for me and my sister here. Um, and that's how I'm hardwired. You know, I have that capacity for control, like hyper awareness and control, as you both know, as you both made fun of when we were together in July, watch Covey's going to take note of who did the dishes last night or whatever, you know, (laughs) that's like, that's where it comes from. Right. And, um, and so I think about, you know, and I hold so much stress in my shoulders and my neck in my jaw, like I'm in chronic pain constantly. So embodied practice for me is like a necessity. It's a lifeline. And, um, I have to do it to like, feel okay. Um, you know, that's, that's part of what it is. And, um, also just seeing my father move through dementia and how, um, just how awful and ugly it got, you know, and it was just such a slap in the face of like, Oh, you know, we do only have this short life to like, figure out a way to sort of rewire some of these patternings and, and I need to, I need to get on that. Right. I need to find ways to like, not just be in the, in the pain, in the, in the negative criticism, in the critique all the time, or that's who I'm going to become when I don't have the energy to try to control and be something different. Right. Um, but I, um, And I've always been grateful for the way that um, awareness practice and yoga has been a part of what we offer through Center for Whole Communities. But it's usually like, um, you know, contained to these moments in the in the day or like, you know, over here on the side, optional or. um, I've really like so when the pandemic started, um, I just got. I hit such an extreme place of anxiety and fear. Like I was so, I was so wound up. I was so like, it was hard for me to just like function and be and show up for my kids or, you know, cook meals or, you know, just, um, and, uh, and one of my friends asked me if I was teaching and I was like, are you, fucking kidding me hell no like I can barely take care of myself and I actually honestly stopped teaching uh on a regular basis in the in like yoga studios and stuff back in 2016 when um when my you know beloved partner of 20 years just sort of left me out of you know out of the blue um when I was like in a in a black hole of grief again and um I stopped teaching other people because I was like, I need to just take care of myself, right? And I would teach here and there at Centerfold Communities retreats and stuff or or um, with friends, but not on a regular weekly basis anymore. And um, anyway, fast forward to 2020, you know, spring of 2020, this friend was like, oh, you know, sometimes I find teaching others helps bring me back to the ground. So that's um, that sort of was the spark. Um, I also had some friends, you know, locally here who are Chinese medicine practitioners who were, um, teaching Qigong daily, um, for free. And we're just really like encouraging, like now is not a time to play small. Like if you have, if you have things that you know about how people can 
take care of their own health right now, like you, you need to get that out into the world um, a little bit. And so um, I'm just, again, so grateful to, to you all and to like our team at Center for All Communities for the encouragement. It was just like an idea in my heart of wanting to offer something. I'd never offered anything on Zoom that was embodied practice. And my, you know, back when I used to teach in the studio, it was, it was a very kind of traditional, specific yoga practice. And since, um, since my separation in 2016, like I've really de- uh, moved with like full heart and curiosity around healing in many different modalities outside of yoga and um, including yoga, but outside of yoga too. And so it was just such a lovely opportunity to really kind of sit with what has been helpful for me um, around um, healing and anchoring and um, tapping into my own power and my own connection to earth for finding solace or understanding, you know, and I, and I, um, and sort of to expand out of like this very narrow focus that puts me in this panic and fear place into, into a little bit more of the wisdom of, of the earth and, and the place that I'm in. And, um, so, so yeah, the, the practices, or the Zoom embodied practice that we've been offering through Center for Whole Communities um, since the spring of 2020 have have been attempts at that of responding to the moment we're all living through right now on Earth, and um, and recognizing that we're just like fractals of that Earth, right? And and so like, what are the ways that we can remind ourselves of the wisdom of the planet? Remind ourselves of um, the wisdom we hold within our own hands and our hearts with the power of our own attentions, how we can settle and soothe and anchor ourselves so that we can show up um, with eyes and heart open to whatever we have to turn and face in our lives right now. How do we process grief and rage and fear and anxiety? How do we not feel isolated or alone in those feelings? Um, And it's been really like, uh, a gift from my own heart to feel connected to people through that um, offering, through that screen, um, and and I, and it's a work in progress. I'm learning as I go. For sure. Yeah, thank you. If folks wanted to join you, when and how? Um, I'll be offering some classes for the fall season on Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific time, um, but only probably only until the second week of December or so, and then might re- regroup again in the spring with a different okay. practice. And if I'm uh, not here to this, if this will be my first time, um, my assumption is I can find out more and register through the Center for Communities website. Is that Absolutely. Right? You can find recordings of previous seasons there and everybody's welcome. My goal is for the practices to be um, accessible to a wide range of um, abilities and, um, you know, histories with yoga or Qigong. But, um, but of course you're in your own home and the most important Teacher. So one of the ways I use the word guru is to um, is that uh, guru is uh, that which brings you from darkness into light, you know. And so you know maybe there's a person who's your guru, but you're 
your your own wisdom, your own intuition can be your guru. And I invite people to use their breath as their guru. Our breath can often tell us if we're if we're holding our breath or if our breath is getting shorter, like maybe we're um, not present to what we're doing, you know? So, so if we stay, stay attuned, then we can modify the practice in a way that works for our body in that moment. Dig it. So in essence, guru is a highly subjective word that one could potentially throw on anybody at any time without fear of being culturally inappropriate. <laughs> what you're saying that's what i'm taking from all of this well i think it goes back to what you were saying about relationship so here and now oh i i am gonna let you have a pass and i and i appreciate and i get i get that that's coming from a place of love and relationship and history when it's Mm -hmm. between you and i yeah muhammad you hear that love (laughs) and history (laughs) so there i love how it came full circle I just wanted to offer deep appreciation to you both for your time today. I learned so much on this call. And I also love that you like giving Delma a hard time as well, because, you know, he tends to get a little too big for his britches and wow, we got to be a little bit more honest with him. And I love that you all bring that huge. Dive In Justice is a co-production of the Center for Whole Communities and Shoreline Consulting. The Center for Whole Communities exists to build capacity at the individual, organizational, and community level to deepen awareness, embrace differences, and value relationships, thus making change possible. Shoreline Consulting co-constructs solutions and strategies that align with your goals and leverages the voices, perspectives, and wisdom of those who stand to benefit. For more information on the Center for Whole Communities, find us at wholecommunities.org. For more information on Shoreline Consulting, visit us on the web at thinkshorelines.com. Dive in Justice theme song created by Nasir Thomas Jackson. Original music throughout today's episode created by Dana and Alden McQuain. Check out their debut album, Brothers, on Spotify. Doug Fierenstein is our audio engineer. Susanna McCandless is our administrative support. Jenny Cotting and Soraya Yamada Sapien help us out with marketing and promotions. Thank you all so much. Without your continued efforts, this show would not be possible.